The reading this evening takes place uh, from Psalm 62, which can be found on page 579 of the Church Bibles. My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall never be shaken. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? They fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things have I heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you will reward each person according to what he has done. For our first year of marriage, Liz and I were living in a uh, top floor flat in Putney. And um, it was that time we decided to take a year out and go travelling around the world. And uh, so we rented the flat out. And uh, before we went, we uh, gathered together all our belongings, um, many boxes of books and things, and shoved them up in the loft, um, locked the door, and off we went. Came back a year later and um, were surprised and quite shocked to see um, a large crack in the ceiling of the living room. And they're sloping from one end to the other. And uh, upon further investigation, it appeared that um, the, uh, the main beam going across the lock had not gone into the actual wall. It had been cut off short. I think the expression cowboy builders sort of comes to mind. Um, but the weight of several boxes of books and everything else going down on that beam uh, meant it was just too much for it. We got a builder who repaired the damage and ensured that the solid brick wall then did take the weight and everything was okay. But at various times in our lives, we may feel that there are several boxes of books really just weighing down on us. There are things crushing us and we are doing all that we can to stop us collapsing. We feel like it says here in this passage, which Adam just read to us, we are a leaning wall. We're a tottering fence. We're about to go over. And this evening, as we look at this psalm, it's a psalm which deals with our faith under attack. And it may seem to you right um, now at this time that um, the forces lining up to knock you down are just too many to handle. You've been through a few battles, but you're just too weary to really face any more. 
Well, hopefully the psalm will help us whether we are in the middle of um, an attack like that or whether we actually feel quite secure at the moment because we still need to prepare for when these times come. And as we face the year ahead, it will be inevitable that there will be some here who will experience physical illness. There will be some who experience bereavement, relationship problems, redundancy, a general spiritual dryness, difficulties with with children, and so on and so on. And the more we try and share our faith, the more the church grows in its ministry, the more actually we are likely to experience such attacks. And that's because the devil will attack when he's been threatened. And when we go through such times, we shouldn't actually feel that we need to be ashamed about it or keep it to ourselves. We need to seek help from each other. But what is the advice that um, David gives us in this psalm? Because he's giving his testimony of how he responded um, when he was under attack. After he's had his fair share of, um, of tough times, he spent many years uh, as an innocent fugitive on the run from King Saul and his soldiers. He uh, was seeking his life. And yet, through all those trials, he grew in maturity. He grew in his love for God. He grew in his confidence in God. And the psalm tracks that process of growth from someone who's crying out, how long, O Lord, to someone who at the end can say to others, trust in him at all times, O people. And the question is, why should we have so much confidence in God when so much in life tends to undermine that confidence? I think there's a lot here we can learn from David. What he went through is enough to crush anybody, but he was still able to put his trust in God. So let's uh, have a look at the, uh, the psalm. If you haven't got it open, it's here on page 579. The first thing I want to say under faith, under attack, is that spiritual attack can take many different forms. In David's case, his troubles appear to be caused by other people, and by a lot of people it seems to be. Look there, it says in verse 2. How, oh, verse 3, sorry. How long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence? It appears to be caused by their, their deceit, by their hypocrisy. Carries on, they fully intend to topple him from his lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. They may be the ones who have invented the lies in the first place. Maybe the ones who spread them. Maybe ones who laughed at them or just believed them. The worst thing is they came from people who possibly claimed to be his friends. It says, with their mouths, they bless. In many ways, being let down by someone we trust is the worst kind of attack, isn't it? Because then we have nobody to go to to take our troubles when we need them. Spiritual attack can take many different forms, but also spiritual attack can last a long time. David's attacks appear to have been going on for quite a while. Look, it says in verse 3, how long will you assault a man? It's that cry of desperation that we hear in so many of the different psalms, isn't it? If you went to Psalm 13, you won't now, but it would say there, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long 
must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? It's the title of a very good book I can recommend um, to you by Don Carson. Um, How long, O Lord, reflections on suffering and evil. And he looks at uh, various different things, including the lessons from Job. It's something which um, songwriters have um, focused on in their songs. U2, one of my favourite bands, was one of their early songs about um, the unrest in Ireland. It was called Sunday, Bloody Sunday, the tragic events of January 1972 when 13 civilians were killed by by British troops. And they asked that question, how long do we have to go on with this conflict? Believers go, I can't believe the news today. I can't close my eyes and make it go away. How long? How long must we sing this song? David is crying out, how long will I have to wait, Lord? And you may be crying out to God as well, how long will all this go on for? Because although some attacks, such as those on our our physical health, can disappear once the illness has been healed, if it is healed, most of them can go on for years. Depression, Mental illness is not something that is easily treated with and dealt with. It may often recur. A pain of bereavement or divorce may be dulled over time, but it may never completely go away. And in a culture which demands rapid decisions, rapid results, rapid cures, rapid recovery, that can be even more painful as people move on. And so the result may be, especially if this has been going on for some time, well, there are a number of things that have happened to us that we've, we've fended off and then suddenly gang up and, and hit us together. We feel like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. One more push and we'll be over. We can't take much more. It just feels like everyone or everything is against us. Would all of you, it says here, throw him down? Well, there's different ways we can react in these situations. So what does David do here in this psalm? Let's look at his response. Because this is the best response, it's the response which Alice and Elizabeth were telling about when they suffered those uh, tough times, is to trust in the rock of salvation. Well, first David expresses what he's, he's going through, his emotions, he identifies the source of his attack, he acknowledges his weakness, he acknowledges his need for help. But where does he go for that help? He goes to God, God the rock. And the development of this psalm is interesting isn't it? because it starts there in verse 1 with a, a declaration. It says, my soul finds rest in God alone. And it moves on later on in verse 5 to, to an exhortation to himself. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. Find rest. And then later in verse 8, there's an exhortation to others. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. He's now found rest in God, and he wants others to, to benefit from that as well. But how do we do that? How do we find rest and calm and stillness in God? We'll look at uh, again at verse 1 My soul finds rest in God alone, my salvation comes from Him. And the two are very much joined together. My, my rest in God, to find rest in God, is to trust that your salvation comes from him. And if you don't know that your salvation will come from God, then you won't find rest in him. 
Verse 2 says, he alone is my rock and my salvation. He's my fortress. I shall never be shaken. The same words come up again in verse 6. It's not that they are two completely separate things, rock and salvation, but he is my saving rock. It's such a powerful image, isn't it? The rock. See that the photos just come up here. The, probably one of the well-known, most well-known rocks in the world, Ayers Rock in Australia. You're not going to move that, that rock very easily, are you? It is powerful. It's an image of protection. It's security. But it's also in the Bible an image of life. When the, uh, the people of Israel were in the wilderness and um, they had nothing to drink, God told Moses to strike the rock. And out of the rock came water. That was the water to, to give them physical life. But out of the rock also comes spiritual life. Why don't you just turn with me to um, 1 Corinthians 10, very uh, briefly. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. And just look here what Paul says. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. What is it about Christ? This rock of salvation that we should be thankful for. Well, there's four things I want to mention very briefly. First of all, that it's in Christ that God promises salvation. The rock is not something that is moved, it's firm. And God's words and promises are, are not those that change. They stand firm, they are reliable. I can trust in him. He won't be toppled from his lofty place. He's promised that he will save me. And in Christ, he's fulfilled that promise he made so long ago. In Christ, God promises salvation. In Christ, God prepares us for salvation. God doesn't just promise us eternal salvation. Everything that happens to us, all the the good and the bad, is helping us to grow and get ready for that day. You may know the verse from Romans 8, which... um, we often turn to when times are tough, that we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. And we struggle with that, you know, why? How does he work for my good? But it carries on, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So the way that God works for the good of those who love him, is to prepare them for salvation by making them more Christ-like. In Christ, God also protects us from losing our salvation. He preserves, he protects not only our our minds and bodies, he protects our souls from, from losing that eternal salvation, that gift of life once we have it. And if God has said he will preserve our souls, then... As far as everything else is concerned, it doesn't really matter, does it? That puts everything in perspective. Let him do what he pleases. Let the devil do what he pleases. And we can accept it. All those tough things that God is allowing to happen to us are preparing us for salvation. And then finally, with the promise of salvation, though, we have also the prospect of hope 
If we look at verse 5, here it says now, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. Remember, that's the way verse 1 started. But this time it's different. It's not my salvation comes from him, it's my hope comes from him. Because if we've been promised salvation, then hope follows naturally, doesn't it? Hope is what helps us to just to put things in perspective, something to, to cling on to, something to make us think that actually things are not so bad, that they will become better. And if not in this life now, then in the life to come. It gives us freedom to, to venture out. I don't know if any of you have done any sort of high ropes courses. Um, Go Ape is one of them. This is a picture of Ben just about to leap off and do one of those uh, zip wire things. But you put on this, this harness, this clip, um, and you're, you're, you're secure. Might not look very secure, but you're secure to these, uh, these, 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 these ropes. And knowing you are secure, you can then you know, walk out along these sort of gangways, sort of 30, 40 feet off the ground. You can do Tarzan swings, you can do all sorts. It's uh, great fun. Um, because you know when you slip off and you're hanging there, you're not going to fall crashing to the ground. You're just going to be able to get back on and carry on again. Hope gives us the freedom to venture out. We're secure in Christ. And so we've got that hope to, to venture out. David's response to these tough times was to trust in God. He was the rock of salvation for David. As verses 7 and 8 say, he says, My salvation and my honour depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. It was the same response that uh, Paul followed when he experienced equally tough times. Um, as he writes about to the Corinthians, he says, he says this, he says, We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. And so going back to, to Psalm 62, with that same confidence, David is able to encourage others. He's saying, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, to God is our refuge. So if we're not putting our trust in God, if we're finding it difficult to do that, what are we doing? What is a wrong response in times of trial? Well, the wrong response, as we've heard from, you know, Alice and Elizabeth this evening, is to that temptation to, to trust in ourselves rather than God. Who is all we need? He's the one we need to depend on. He's the one that gives us that strength. But so often, we try and trust in ourselves, don't we? There may be other things we trust in. It may be a, just a vague hope that things will work out okay. Maybe it's an optimism that there will be a, a change of heart in my enemies. Maybe it's a hope solely in medicine and doctors. But it's often a faith in our own strength, our own inner resources, the belief that I'm strong enough to get through this. I will do it. I'm going to fight it all the way. It won't get the better of me. Sometimes it's to bury our heads in the sand and just pretend it's not happening. Or at least pretend to other people it's not happening. Putting on a brave face in public, but underneath going through a lot of pain. 
It may be to withdraw into ourselves. Speaking to people is just too painful. They, they don't really understand anyway. I can't really express how I'm feeling. There's a strong change in this psalm in verse 8. It's up to now been exhorting people to trust in God. But now it switches to the futility of trusting in people. And it's designed to help us appreciate just how trustworthy and dependable God is by contrasting him with humankind. Have a look at verses 9 and 10 there. It says, Low-born men are but a breath. The high-born are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together, they are only a breath. It's a very powerful image, isn't it, of men's tininess compared to God. But all, God, all men together weigh them and they're just like a breath that weighs nothing compared to this, this rock that is God. Well, it's one of the ways by which man shows that he is but a breath. Well, it's often his trust in material goods and wealth, isn't it? Look at verse 10 there. Do not trust in extortion or take pride in stolen goods, though your riches increase. <coughs> Do not set your heart on them. And it's not just wealth obtained by dishonest means, because all wealth has a a seductive power, doesn't it? You may ask yourself, well, why, why shouldn't I make it my goal in life to, to rise up the career ladder as far as I can get? You know, those who've done it appear to be quite happy with their, their second houses and their yachts and their, and their cars. Well, it may appear that that is the way of happiness, but actually that way leads nowhere. There's no eternal hope by following that path. That path leads to idolatry, to covetousness, to self-centeredness. Those goods won't last long as we know so well but forget so often. You can't take them with you, we keep saying. David warns us in this psalm, don't be tempted to take things into your own hands, to make your own wealth, to make your own security. If God wants you to be successful in a certain profession, then he will ensure that that will happen in his own strength, in his own time. And if it doesn't, then there's no point trying to achieve that by your own means. David could have killed Saul a couple of times. He could have ended his suffering. There was a time, you may remember, when Saul came into the cave in which he was hiding, and David could have killed him. When David and one of his men, they crept unnoticed into Saul's camp, again, he could have killed him. Then he would no longer have had to cry out, how long? He would have sorted it, but he knew that he had to wait for God's timing. And it was a great reminder, as we were saying earlier on, that um, what Alice was saying yesterday about the fullness of God's time, which Alice replied to the building project. We need to trust in God's timing in all aspects of our lives, and not in our own timing, in our impatience. Well, let me uh, just ask you a couple of questions as we conclude. First of all, where are you? in this battle. You may be right in the middle of it, like one of the, uh, the soldiers in the Battle of the Somme. You've been hit by an enemy machine gun. You're lying wounded on the ground in no man's land. You're crying for help. You may have just been found. You may be on a stretcher. You may be carrying, being carried off to be treated. 
You may actually be in the front line and things are going great. You've just taken over your, your targets, the enemy trench. You're feeling quite chuffed with yourself. Well, in this psalm, David appears to be on the stretch or lying in the hospital bed. He's gone through the struggle and he's coming out the other side. You may be where you are in the battle for no reason of your own. And the psalm may speak to you in different ways depending on where you are. But wherever we are, the question remains the same. And that is, where will you take refuge? Where will you put your trust? Will you take it in the rock? Or will you put it in human strength? If you haven't taken refuge in the rock, then things may seem to be going quite well now. But there will come a time when you will be shaken. And the good news is that all you need to do is turn to the rock, to Jesus Christ. Final two verses of this psalm, David moves from testimony exhortation to address God himself. He says, one thing God has spoken, two things I've heard, that you, O God, are strong, and that you, O Lord, are loving. Surely you would reward each person according to what he's done. And here we have the reasons why we should trust in God in the face of attack. He's strong. He's the one who is in control of each of our situations. He's the one who can change them if that is best for us. And he's loving. He knows what is best for us and wants what is best for us. And he will change that at the time that is best. And he will reward us. He will reward us according to what we have done. Our reward is... Eventually, it's eternal salvation, isn't it? That gives us that hope. And all we are required to do is to trust in him, enjoy the security, the peace, the comfort, the assurance that he gives us. Look to the rock.